So let's stand together as a statement of intent and let's uh, recite the words of the creed, this um, concise statement of faith as we say together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. From there, he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat and please turn up page 1114, Philippians uh, chapter 2. And uh, a well known, one of the earliest hymns, they believe. That's why it's, um, it's formatted slightly differently here from verses 5 through to 11. Paul kind of quotes it in the middle of his letter to the Philippians. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself to, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we simply pray that through these scriptures and others that we'll look at on the screen, that as we unpack this time-honored creed, this statement of Christian belief owned worldwide, you would impress it in our hearts and minds, Lord, and enable us to live robust, sturdy, big Christian lives that we would impact and influence for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, we're looking at the creed. Just um, actually, I'll, I'll keep talking just as I get my, my prop, which I forgot to bring in. Um, but thinking about belief, uh, about what I believe. <laughs> um, if you were here, a little while ago, uh, when was it, two weeks ago, um, I kind of used this chair as, a, as an example of uh, the different types of belief that the New Testament recognises and kind of we recognise. There's, um, there's a, a kind of um, conceptual belief. Just in there. Um, I believe that's a chair. There's the, the belief of intent. Because I believe that's a chair that will hold my weight, I'm going to sit in it. And then there's the belief that the New Testament talks about, which is I am actually deriving benefit and enjoying life as a result of this chair. And it's that kind of lived out faith, leaning on faith. This, my life wouldn't be what it is without that kind of faithness that the New Testament 
talks about. So not just conceptual, yeah, kind of, I, I, could, I could embrace that as a concept. Not just, yeah, I, I'll do something about that. It is I am living it out. That's the, the faith that the creed excites. And um, today our phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. One little line, and yet I'm feeling slightly nervous at the prospect of trying to unpack that within sort of 25, 30 minutes. Uh, it reminds me of the drunk who was walking past a, a guy with a horse and cart, and he was feeding, the, the, the owner of the horse and cart was feeding his horse. He had a nose bag around the, uh, the, the horse's head, and the, and the horse was feeding. And as the drunk walked past, he kind of stared at it, and then he stared at the guy quizzically, and he just said, I tell you, there is no way you're going to fit that horse in that bag. And I feel a little bit like that with this sermon. I, there's no way that I'm going to be able to fit everything that could be said about I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, into one little sermon. But here goes. When Christians say I believe in God, they join with pretty much every world religion, philosophy. Most world religions will believe in something or someone out there other than themselves, a higher being. When Christians say, as we looked at last week, Pat's uh, very powerful message last week, I believe in God, um, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, creator of heaven and earth, then, then Christianity sets itself apart from, for example, Hinduism and many of the Eastern religions that sees, sees God within creation. When, when Christians say, I believe in God who is apart from creation, that's a key distinction. But when Christianity says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, Christianity sets itself apart from Judaism, sets itself apart from Islam. That's the phrase in the Christian creed that makes Christianity stand alone, unique. I believe in Jesus. The name comes from, uh, or the Hebrew equivalent is Joshua, and Joshua means God saves. And you'll notice that in that little phrase, God saves, God is the subject of the, of the action. God's the subject of the verb. It's God who saves. And the New Testament's equivalent of Joshua is Jesus. And it's really interesting that Matthew, in his gospel to a Jewish audience who knew about Joshua, God saves. Matthew tells uh, uh, Mary and Joseph when they are to give birth to Jesus, and it's in, uh, is this is the first verse we can have uh, Emma on the screen, Matthew 1, 21. Uh, oh, can we have 21? He says, you are to call him Jesus. Don't, don't worry, Emma, that's fine. You are to call him Jesus because he will save God's people from their sin. You're to call him Jesus because he, Jesus, will save God's people from their sin. To Jewish hearers who know that God saves, to hear that Jesus is the one who will save people from their sin means, they do the maths, Jesus must be God. 
Uh, that, that tiny little phrase in Matthew's gospel is revolutionary to Jewish ears. And so tiny little, I believe in Jesus. And we're saying something quite profound. That God, who said this, this, this transcendent, this amazing, this other God, chooses to save people from their sin, their ultimate separation from God, through this person, Jesus. I believe in Jesus. So when you, when you just that phrase, I believe in Jesus, you are declaring something that's core to the creed, the divinity of Jesus Christ. We'll come on in due course to look at his humanity, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He went through physical birth. He lived amongst us, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He knows what it is to experience uh, all the sort of pain and the suffering and the torment in our world. He's lived our life on earth, the humanity of Jesus. But absolutely core that we grasp to the divinity of Jesus. Actually, that's encapsulated in conceived by the Holy Spirit, divinity, born of the Virgin Mary, the dual natures of Jesus. Uniquely, no other human being can make that claim. But here's the thing, loads of people are called Jesus. It's not, not a popular name in our culture, but you go to South America and there are all sorts of... I read, I read the other day, there's a, I think there's a boxing champion within South America called Jesus. I was a professional footballer, two or three professional footballers, Jesus, um, in, in the sort of pronunciation. But I was in this, this uh, South American boxer, he won a title. So there's, there's, here's this guy, Jesus, and he comes to, he's known, he's sort of come to, to prominence for punching the living daylights out of other people. Is that, is that the kind of Jesus I want to follow? I believe in Jesus Christ. Now this marks him out. This delineates him. Christ. It's not his surname. I grew up for a long time. I used to think, oh, he's like, I'm Tim Stilwell. He's Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus is his name and Christ is his title. This is what he's been given by God. And Christ means, um, it's from, again, the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. Christ means, so Messiah or Christ are one and the same thing. They mean chosen, picked out, appointed. So if someone, you, you go for a job uh, interview and of all the people, all the applicants, shortlisted, interviewed, and you're the one who is appointed. You, you could, it could be said you are the Christ for that. It's not, it's not particularly religious in and of itself. It's just that the word with you, you are the Christ for that job. Um, if we had someone heading up the, the tea and coffee, the head of the team, they'd be the Christ of the coffee team. The anointed one, the chosen one, the one particularly for that purpose. Jesus Christ. He is picked by God, chosen by God, anointed by God to be the one, Jesus, who will save the people from their sins. I believe in Jesus Christ. And again, that, that's a self-attestation of his. If we got the John 4 reference? Um, this is in his encounter with the woman at the well in John 4. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And the next verse, Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am God's anointed. When we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we say, 
I believe that God has specifically chosen this man to live amongst us, to reveal the Father to us in order that God's people might be saved from their sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. The divinity of Jesus is vital. Let's just pause before we move on to his only son, our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ. To believe in the divinity, the, the God-likeness, the godness of Jesus is absolutely vital in our day and age. Because if Jesus is not fully God, and what, what I'm trying to impress here is we don't just sort of, as, as we're prone to with familiar liturgy and words, well, we do it a little bit with the Lord's Prayer, and we can do it a little bit with the Creed. We kind of la di our way through. You know, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. I'm Lord. <laughs> what am I saying? You are, you are saying that you believe in the full disclosure of God through Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Colossians, all the, all the fullness of the deity lives in him. Believing in the divinity of Jesus Christ means that we believe in the complete revelation of God himself in and through Jesus. Let me flip it around. If we don't believe that Jesus is complete and full and satisfactory revelation of God the Father, then we will need to look, just in our hearts, we we will begin to search elsewhere for revelation. We will begin to search elsewhere for ultimate understanding or ultimate wisdom because God isn't enough in Jesus. We'll say to ourselves, Jesus, and I'm coming on to this with a heresy that we, the creed kind of was, was established to, to combat. We'll say to ourselves, Jesus is good, but he's not God. And therefore, he's not ultimate wisdom, ultimate love, ultimate revelation. And we will look elsewhere for wisdom, for justification. And you see it, don't you see that in, a, in our culture today, in the West in particular? You see, where, we've, where we've lost the deep and utter conviction that Jesus Christ, the full and complete revelation of God, we look for revelation elsewhere, we hunger for it elsewhere. We think that there must be more. Do you hear it whenever on the news or on the radio? I I hear it all the time. There's There's a kind of complacent satisfaction in the news report that begins something like, latest research has discovered that, dot, dot, dot. There's the God of our age, or one of them. Research into genetic research. We, we're, we're discovering. I think it's wonderful. By the way, I'm not decrying research. I'm not decrying science. I'm not decrying all the things that we are discovering that God has already put in place. But it's posited as we've made this discovery. We've made this invention. Look what we can do now. Ah, oh, so now we'll play God. We'll dictate this and that and the other. It's all down to our genes, or it's all down to the way in which chromosomes are put together, whatever it might be. That explains this, or that excuses that. In the absence of the ultimate revelation from Jesus Christ, we'll look for revelation, wisdom, understanding from other sources, and we will deify them. Genetic research. 
Latest research reveals... Who says that latest research is any more informed than any other research if it isn't rooted in God the Father's revelation through Jesus Christ, his Son? That's why we hold, this is the anchor. It's not saying we shouldn't, I, I encourage and sponsor all sorts of research and investigation. God has given us inquiring minds. He's given us gifts and abilities. If you're a scientist or a researcher, go for it. But not in order that you worship it. In order that in discovering whatever it is that's new, what we didn't know before, we go, oh, God the Father, you are even more amazing than I thought before. We bring our worship back to the one, the only one, who's worthy of our worship through the things we've discovered. That's why this little creedal statement, don't miss it. I believe in Jesus Christ, full and complete revelation of everything that I need to live a human life that flourishes for God is found and rooted in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. His only son. Now the creeds were written and formulated, I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, you can download the, the talk, I think it's on the website now, if you want to catch up on that little bit of history on the creeds. But over centuries actually, they didn't have um, email and all that kind of thing to sort of speed up communication. Um, and over the first two or three centuries, there were uh, as many as eight um, heresies that arose, emerged, um, centering just around the person of Jesus Christ. And so the creeds kind of emerged partly to, um, to correct false thinking and false teaching and to, to be a corrective in disputes. They, were, they emerged to diffuse heresy as much as they were um, a concise statement of Christian faith. And one such heresy uh, arose in the fourth century, a chap called Arius. And he had a bit of a ding-dong with another guy. Arius was a, a, a scholar from Alexandria in um, what's now Egypt. And uh, he had a bit of a ding-dong with a guy called Athanasius. And as a result of their ding-dong, pretty much over their lives, I mean, over decades, um, eventually Arius was denounced as a heretic at the Council of Nicaea in 325. And it's from that council that we have the Nicene Creed. We, what we just recited there, sort of the most, more popular version, is the Apostles' Creed. But the Nicene, Nicene Creed was uh, evolved out of that council, and it's particularly, specifically, it countered this uh, heresy of Arius. Very briefly, headline thing, you can Google him and, and, and find out more. But basically, Arius said this, influenced as he was at the time, as many, much Christian thinking was in the early centuries, by Greek um, philosophy, Arius held this, that only God is eternal. He, he was, you know, in the beginning was God. He was before creation, before all things, and he will be after all things. He's eternal. But only God is eternal. And when we talk of Jesus Christ, his only son, his son, well, children, as we know, are, are created wonderfully, miraculously, but they are created. And therefore, uh, Jesus had a beginning. He was not eternal like God. And if Jesus had a beginning and was created, therefore in some way he's not the same as God. He's, he's lesser than God. He's not eternal in that sense. 
And he, he develops his thinking. The implication of his thinking is, so Jesus, if Jesus isn't God in human form, then what is he? Well, he's, obviously, he's a great teacher. He's a good guy. A great example to follow. But that was, that was the sort of ceiling for areas of who Jesus was. And as, again, I, I, mean, I won't go into it here, but as you sort of roll out the implications of Aries thinking, then um, we don't need saving from our sin. Um, if Jesus is just a good example, then basically God is calling us to follow that good example. We do, basically, Aries was sort of, we need to pull our socks up. And I, I know we're not very good. Sort of sin a little bit here and there, naughty little things. But if we just sort of try a bit harder, then basically we'll be okay. And Aries was denounced as a heretic simply because he, he unraveled the... the the, the impact of sin, the importance of sin, and actually he demeaned the potency of salvation. If there's no real sin, there's no real need for salvation. That's why he was denounced as a heretic. But it all stemmed from this idea, refuted in the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And the creed, the, the Nicene Creed, which has a full, it's, it's kind of got an amplification on um, the, just this one little line that we've got. Uh, it begins, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Now, Arius argued that, you see, this phrase came from, um, we get it from, say, a really well-known phrase, uh, verse in, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And begotten means son of, that he gave his, his Son, Son of God. And Arius goes, and it looks like the scripture backs him up. Look, you see, there we are. He's a, he's a created being. He's less than God. But the Greek there in Begotten and elsewhere is, is this word monogenes. Mono meaning um, one, alone. And genus, from which we get gene or genetic, meaning of the same being or the same kind. So monogeus, which we translate begotten, is it literally means one of exactly the same kind. One of exactly the same kind. So that actually is borne out. When we begin to look at other scriptures, we see that that was Jesus' understanding and the early church's understanding of who Jesus was. When he prays in John 17, he says, uh, I pray, Father, that they may be one as I am in you and you are in me. I'm in you, you are in me. We are one of exactly the same kind. Or to um, those who were opposing him in John 14 and verse 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, God and me, exactly of the same kind. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In, in our passage here, um, verse 6, your, your attitude be like Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God. Not lesser than God. Being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Can we have the slide with the, just the phrase from the Nicene Creed which came out of this council that denounced Arius. Sorry, it's not, oh, I should have made it a little bit bigger. But um, I believe in um, uh, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of, this is what the Nicene Creed kind of added on the, on the Apostles' Creed. Begotten of his Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made.
So the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, but the Nicene Creed drawing out as a result of this, this sort of ding-dong between Arius and Athanasius. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. So again, this tiny little phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. We're, we're kind of, and it's, a tiny, it's, a, you know, it's a sort of paraphrase of an awful lot of theology, an awful lot of wrangling, an awful lot of wrestling in the spirit. Who is Jesus? He is one of the same being, one of the same kind as God the Father. He is fully God on earth. I don't understand how someone in human form can be fully God and fully human. There are lots of things I don't understand. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't understand how electricity works, but I don't live in the dark. I don't understand. There are certain things I don't understand, but I'm willing to accept by faith. There was something unique about Jesus, and one of his uniquenesses was that he was fully God on earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Here's the thing. I believe that God the Father has many adopted sons. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. I believe that God the Father has many adopted sons precisely because I believe that Jesus Christ was his only begotten son. That is how we come to share with Christ in our great inheritance because Jesus was uniquely who Christians have understood him to be, fully God, fully man. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Just, let's just think about that John 3.16 verse, well-known verse, particularly if you're a sports, major sports fan, you'll see it on the hoardings or someone will hold it up in the crowd or whatever. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We'll look at the atonement in, um, and what God did in Christ on the cross in, in just a few weeks and I don't want to sort of preempt that but there is a Christian understanding that God in some way was giving of himself because of the begotten Son, one of the same kind. When Christ died on the cross, God, one of the same kind, was there on the cross, present, bearing our sin. There was a controversy, it feels to me like only yesterday, but I guess it, was, it may well have been before many of you were even born. A chap called Steve Chalk, uh, a fantastic, he's a fantastic guy with a real heart for God, I believe, and a real heart to see justice in particular and rightness and uh, sort of wrongs inverted and I, I've loads of time for Steve Chalk and Oasis and the, and the work that he does and they do. Um, but he, he kind of hit the headlines because he, uh, it was just a little line in a book and to be fair to Steve it was taken out of context when it was reported and so on as a lot of these things are. But he, he basically referred to the atonement, to what God did on the cross as cosmic child abuse. And it caused a real stir in all the sort of, you know, particularly the kind of conservative circles. And if I'm honest, I think it was an unfortunate phrase to use. And uh, it's a shame because, of course, no one remembers anything else of the book or anything else of what Steve's doing and da-da-da. So it was just one of those really sort of, the devil had a field day. But it was, a, it was an unfortunate phrase to use. Because the, the implication is that, God, we've got this problem, sin. 
And I, I need someone to, I need someone to blame. I need someone as a scapegoat to kind of deal with this sin. Oh, Jesus, you'll do it. And it sort of creates this sort of sense of, you know, God keep, keeping apart from this awful issue. And, and it was throwing someone in the, in the white heat of it all. But, but if we hold to this belief in the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, one of the same being, then when we look at the cross, and in a few minutes when we come to the climax of this gathering this evening, when we, we take communion, we remember his broken body and his shed blood, we actually remember that God himself he wasn't distant or withdrawing. He was coming in. He was getting involved. If there was abuse, it was only of himself as he looked to set us free. As he redeemed us. As he healed us. As he freed us to live lives that he's called us to live through the cross and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And when we say that, not as just a concept, not not as something I I will think about, but I, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. When I rest in that, Live in that. Let that truth marinate me like a steak on a summer's barbecue. It just pours out of me. You turn up the heat on me and out comes the flavor of what I believe. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. You're taking sin seriously and you're taking salvation seriously. Because you recognize that on the cross, God has... God has recognized the the, the utter devastation of sin and he's done the one thing that can overcome it, given of himself. Because Jesus Christ on the cross is one of the same being with God the Father who out of love has poured himself like a sacrifice through Jesus' body on the cross. You see, if it's God that we have wronged through sin, it's only God who can do something about it. It's only God who can pardon if it's God who we've wronged. Supposing, um, you know, supposing I insult Joe, my wife, and I then go and apologize to Pat. I say, oh, Pat, I'm so sorry I insulted Joe. I mean, Pat says, well, you know, thank you, but you, you probably need to go and talk to Joe. And I think, oh, yeah. And so I stand up in front of the whole church. And I say, the whole church, everyone here, I'd like to really apologize for insulting Joe. No. Who's the one person? If I've insulted Joe, who's the one person I need to talk to? Who's the one person from whom I need to seek pardon? Joe. If if our sin is ultimately, it has its implications horizontally, but if our sin ultimately is an offence to God, who is it that I need to go to? And how is it that I can atone for sin? Am I good enough? Have I got something that I can bring to God and make it okay? No. I believe in, in, implicit in, I believe in Jesus, Jesus, save his people from their sins. Christ, the anointed one, his only son, one of the same nature. Then we're, we're unpacking what it is that God did on the cross. He took the initiative, he came down and he has been the pardon. He 
is the one who releases us. Specially anointed by the Father. If Jesus is not God, and if God in Jesus has not met us in the cross, and we've not met his forgiveness, received his forgiveness in the cross, then God's redemption is powerless. And we will look for redemption, we'll look for justification somewhere else. If we don't believe that Jesus is God, we won't believe that God has done something to solve the problem of our sin, and so we'll go somewhere else. Because deep inside each and every one of us made in the image of God is the desire to connect with him. And when we know and experience, even if we can't articulate it, the separation that sin brings, we'll long for connection somewhere else. And we'll seek to justify ourselves in some other way. It may be our intellect. Again, back to our genetic research. Look how clever we are. Or it may be our experience as we grow older and wiser. It may be our wisdom. It may be our possessions. It may be a whole load of things that will seek to bridge the gap between us and God. And all of that, when we do that, when we, when we look for other ways to justify ourselves, we, we betray the fact that we don't really believe Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. The divinity of Christ, encapsulated in those tiny little words, absolutely vital. Finally, so I'm going to finish with this. Our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. The um, Hebrew word for Lord or God is translated in the Greek as kurios. And kurios is the most frequent term for Jesus in the New Testament. He was referred to as Lord or, in Old Testament understanding, God. He received that uh, title, that welcome, that greeting. Uh, in Acts 2.36, have we got this one? Uh, Peter's sermon at the end of Pentecost, uh, which we celebrate today. Therefore, he says, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And it was on that basis because of his death, but more significantly his resurrection, that the Spirit opened the eyes of the believers to see the early church was born. Jesus is Lord. The early apostles who'd lived with him, uh, taught with him, laughed with him, run with him, slept with him, been harassed by him, all this stuff, three years died, rose again, appeared to them. Thomas not with them. They tell Thomas, Thomas can't believe it. And then a second time, and Jesus appears. Just can we have this, uh, the, the John reference? When uh, Jesus invites him to stick his hands, Thomas, his hands in Jesus' side and see the, the scars on his wrists. No, don't worry. Oh, there we are. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, oh, Thomas, that's going a little bit too far, if I was. <laughs> just, just, just call me Jay. Jesus received that acclamation from Thomas, my Lord and my God. 
It, it kind of sets a seal on all that I've tried to unpack this evening. It sets a seal on the divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the early church picked it up and it's run through the ages. Verse 10 of our passage this evening. Oh, no, let's go from verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I believe in Jesus Christ. His only Son, our Lord. And the challenge as we move to, I think, worship and communion is that we move from just this little line that we know up here and we actually live, I believe, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Amen.